It is the letter to the Hebrews. All right. Now that's about as genetic, just generic as we can do, and that's as much as we can know about this thing. And so we need to understand this. It is a letter. All right. And letters, basically, what I say. All right. Actually, can you do the whole the, the periscopy thingy? All right. Um, I think it's right or wrong. Um, what we say with letters is letters have three components to them. Okay. We always know that a letter has somebody who does what? Somebody who writes it, and we call that person the author. There we go. All right, this is a group participation. Those of you who've never been in church where you actually got to talk, all right, welcome. All right, you get to talk here. All right, if you need to ask a question, you don't have to text me. Let me get to it later on in the week. You can do one of these guys. I will stop and we'll camp out on you, okay? This is free church here, right? We don't do any of that formal stuff, okay? So you have an author. Somebody writing this thing. Now, why do you write a letter? Anybody written a letter lately? Not an email. I mean, like, on paper. Got an envelope out. Wrote it by hand. All right. Have you really? Thank you, letter. Okay, well, that counts, I guess. All right. Anybody just... Anybody have a pen pal growing up? Anybody? Okay. A couple. All right. I actually... I went to a basketball camp one time. I was 10th grade-ish, somewhere in there, met this really cute girl, all right, really cute girl, all right, we met and we hung out that last night of basketball camp, she was at cheerleading camp, I was at basketball camp, and this was, we were probably, I guess we were, I was 10th grade, I think she was 9th grade, she lived in Texas, I lived in Florida, and we wrote, and we just kept writing back and forth, actual letters, where you sit down and you write, it's weird, I know, it's, it's pen and paper, and you write people, and you talk to them and have conversations. All right, it's really cool. Um, We wrote, and the last letter I got was, I guess this will have to be our last letter because I'm getting married in two months or something like that. And that was the last letter I ever got from her. And it it was all the way through, all the way through high school, all the way through college. So we wrote back and forth. Now, why do you write letters? You write because you care about somebody. You write personal letters because you care about them. That's why I said I love the letter to the Hebrews because you can feel the author and the love the author has for the people. All right? Now, not only do you have an author, but you also have an audience. All right? So somebody writes a letter and somebody receives the letter. Okay? And those letters are written specifically for those people or for that person. All right? It's not written so 2,000 years later some other group of people can pick it up and start reading it and go, oh, this applies directly to me. No, the author did not have you in mind when he wrote this letter, okay? Everybody okay with that? I don't mean to burst anybody's self-esteem bubble in here this morning, but this was not written for you. It was written for a specific audience. Now, the Holy Spirit inspired the author to write it to this, and he preserved it for 2,000 years. So what? So we could sit here and look at this and go, wow, look at what the author, how much he loved, the author loved these people and they needed to hear this message. Now, what can I glean from this author writing to this audience this message? And that's what you do with letters in the Bible. All right? That's why I don't want us to say the book of Colossians and the book of Hebrews and the book of the Revelation, they're not all books. A lot of them are letters. Some of them are gospel. Some of them are history. Some of them are poetry. Read the Bible accordingly. That's so important for us to do. All right? And here's what I want to do with this letter. Okay, so we've got Hebrews. I want to jump to the second, the second chapter, all right? 
So I want you to look at this, and we're going to talk about this idea of better than, all right? Because the letter to the Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than what you're thinking about going back to. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Do not roll back to what you used to do. Do not roll back to what you're used to and your custom has, because Jesus is better than all these things. So look in 2-1. Y'all read it out? All right. I'm going to read it from the text. We must therefore pay even more attention to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through the angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was spoken by the Lord. When, when the New Testament writers use the word Lord, they're talking about Jesus, okay? Don't think Lord means God all the time. When a New Testament writer is writing this, especially one of Paul's followers, Luke does this all the time. Luke always refers to Jesus as the Lord. Paul always refers to Jesus as the Lord. I believe this was a companion of Paul. Either Barnabas or Apollos is my opinion. We just don't know who wrote it. But he says, it was spoken to us by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, who spent three years hearing Jesus. Group participation part, the disciples, the 12, Peter, Andrew, James, John, the boys, all these guys, they confirmed it to this author. This author, if it was Barnabas, if it was Apollos, those guys who heard it told it to us. If you look in Acts 2.42, it says, and the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. What did the apostles teach? What they heard from Jesus, right? I don't think Peter was out there going, hey, let's do a four-part series on parenting. Why? Because Jesus didn't do four-part series on parenting. He just taught the gospel. All right? Thaddeus was not out there rolling with a whole series on dating. All right? We didn't date back then. All right? So what did they hear? They heard Jesus teach. They taught it to the early believers. That's what they did in the early church. That's what I want us to be about in this church. Let's just teach the gospel the way Jesus taught it. So it was confirmed by those who heard him. And then verse 6 at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit, according to his will. Hello, read the book of Acts. We're going to start talking through the book of Acts with our teenagers, with our youth, all right? We're going to go through these amazing stories because I want them to know Jesus spoke it, the apostles confirmed it and continued to teach it to the next generations of church, all right? And then God testified it by all these signs and wonders and all these amazing healing things and, and distributions of gifts, like speaking in tongues and all these things. But the author is saying this, because this is the point, this is where we got to get to, so we talk about this therefore. Therefore, we must pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Why was the possibility of drifting away on the table? Why is the author writing these people, this author writing this audience saying, you got to pay more attention so you don't drift away? Because kids are always drifting. They were always drifting. I mean, five minutes after they get the Ten Commandments, what are they doing? They're building a golden calf. How hard is this? Aren't you glad we're not like those people? Aren't you glad we just hear the message and we lock it in and we're good for the next 60 years? Boom. Just loving Jesus every moment, every thought, every time, all the time. Oh, wait, that's not y'all or me? 
We don't ever drift away. No, they have this thing, but drifting away. But think about this. Remember, he isn't writing this to people 2,000 years later, us. He's writing this to first century people, probably somewhere between 50 and 60 AD. Jesus has been dead, resurrected, raised for about 25, 30 years. What happens to the message of Jesus over that time? What happens when the Jewish people continue the persecution of those Christian believers? What's the tendency? What's a natural tendency? When things are hard, what do we tend to do? You see, someone told me, they said, people are a lot like rivers. They always follow the path of least resistance. And what happens when persecution comes? What happens when someone starts to question, well, you know that Jesus guy, I'm not too sure about him. He's been gone for 30 years. It's kind of the excitement of that whole resurrection thing starting to die out a little bit. Really, was he really resurrected? Maybe he just swooned a little bit, all right? Right? Because after you're crucified, sometimes you just swoon and kind of pass out. And then the cool of the tomb maybe woke him up and somebody rolled the stone and they're starting to make up all these things. No one believes that stuff, right? Watch the History Channel, all right? What do they do? Why is drifting away on the table for these first century people? Because they're starting to doubt. They're starting to have these things creep into their minds. Satan's trying to play these games with them. But what does the author do? pleads with them. Therefore, pay even more attention because how will we escape? This is the great question. This is the question of the letter to the Hebrews. How will we escape if we ignore or neglect such a great salvation? That's a great question for all of you. How are you going to escape your sin if you neglect the great salvation of Jesus? the one whose name literally means the God who saves. How are you going to escape the peril? How are you going to escape the peril of sin if you don't have Yeshua, Jehovah Yasha, the God who saves? Jesus. That's the question of the Hebrews. And I believe this, that's the point of the New Testament. Because if you look at the New Testament, the Gospels were written when? Five minutes after Jesus was resurrected and ascended? No, they were written about 60 AD. Jesus is dead and buried and raised in 33. Why wait 30 years? Because what was going on in the church? These authors knew people are starting to drift away. We've got to write something. We've got to get it on paper. We've got to get it into the Greek language, in the Aramaic language, down in the Coptic language, down in Egypt. We've got to spread this message so people won't drift away. And the Holy Spirit just pours in and starts teaching them all these things, all right? So let's go up to Hebrew 1, and let's see where we're going to go with this thing, all right? Long ago, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets at different times and in different ways. Again, we're talking to the Jewish people, so we got to understand their experience, the audience. we got to know what their experience was. So when he says, you know, long ago, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets, different times and different ways. So what was the Hebrew experience of their God? The Hebrews of the first century, what was their experience of God? And what, how, did their, how, how did they pass along these experiences? This oral communication, right? They have an oral history. You know, your grandfather told his grandkids who told his grandkids who told his grandkids the stories of their God. So it would reach back thousands of years. So what was the experience? 
Long ago, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets, different times and in different ways. All right? So you get guys that look like this. That's what a prophet looks like. What, what, what kind of adjectives do you throw on the prophets? Talk to me. What kind of adjectives do you throw? These Hebrew prophets, what kind of guys were these guys? Gnarly. Gnarly, <laughs> all right. Rough. Yeah. Why are they so rough and gnarly? Aren't they well-treated, exalted, high, wearing purple all the time and the big hats and all this? Isn't that prophets? Well, they don't necessarily have like a nice, peaceful, like, diplomatic. Yeah, because what does a prophet say? Thus saith the Lord. You want to know what, what's a prophet? Is that guy a prophet? Is he saying, thus saith the Lord? Is he speaking for God? Who is really our first prophet? Moses. Abraham spoke with God. Isaac, Jacob, they all spoke with God. But Moses is the first one that comes out and says, God told me to tell you this. No. He, in fact, Aaron does most of the speaking for him. All right? So you see these guys. Are they well treated? No. They're always roughed up. I mean, Jeremiah gets thrown in a cistern where he's got mud up to his neck. And he's left there for days. People are sneaking him food, dropping food down into the mud so he could eat to stay alive. That's kind of what this experience was. But at the end of their lives, and most of them were killed, Isaiah, probably sawn in half. All right? That's a bad way to go. All right? I can think of a lot of good ways to go. Being sawn in half while you're alive, that's a bad way to go. This is what they experienced was. And this is, when they think about God speaking, they think of, think of these guys, just rough guys, just getting beat up all the time, persecuted all the time. And this was their experience of God. And so we come along, and what do we find? We find these prophets speaking, speaking to the fathers. They go, that's how God speaks. That's how God works. The other thing we have is this. We have angels now, I wasn't a big fan of the Bible series um, that they did a couple of, what, a year, a couple of years ago. Uh, but the one thing I think they got right was the angels. Because a lot of people want to portray angels how? How are angels normally portrayed in movies? Halo. What, what, color, what color clothes are they wearing? They got to have white on. They're like glowing. They've got wings that flop around and harps, maybe, some of them. And some people actually think that people turn into angels when they die. Please save us from that theology. That's not what's going to happen to you. You will not turn into an angel. Angels are angels. You are you. Angels are built, created, designed for a purpose. And it's not you become one of them someday. It's just to get that out of your theology. If anybody says that at a funeral, just stand up at the funeral and go, so, I'm sorry, I have to stop. That's not true. Okay, that's not what's going to happen. Okay, you can go on with the funeral now. Okay, don't do that, but... I've always wanted to do that. Ashley has to sort of grab my arm and go, don't do that, all right? <clears throat> because I would do that. You know, I would be tempted to do that, all right? But what do these guys look like? All right, what do they have on their arms? They have sort of shields, sort of armor. Why? Because what do angels do? They protect. They fight. They destroy cities. When you look at the angels, I made sort of a list of all the times in the Old Testament when they were brought up. Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what these guys in the movie, that's what these guys, they were heading to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what do they do in Sodom and Gomorrah? First of all, they protect Lot. They get him out of the city. They protect him from all the evil people. You know, Abraham, 
when he's about to kill his son Isaac. It's an angel that cries out to him. He wrestles with Jacob. He is the one in the burning bush. It says the angel of God spoke to Moses from the bush. Um, He's a pillar of fire in the wilderness protecting the Jewish people. I love it when they get right up to the Red Sea. The pillar of fire does what? Goes from in front of them, leading them to where? Goes around behind them to protect them. So they've got the sea on one side and they've got the pillar of fire. The angels of God protecting them. This is the idea. This is the mentality they have. When they led them out of Egypt, it says the angel of God led them and brought them out of Egypt. He gave them the law. He gave them the written law, so they had many tasks. He calls Gideon. He goes to Samson's parents. Um, He destroys the city of Jerusalem when David does this horrible census thing. So he's literally killing people. We have the Passover destroying angel who goes about. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Nebuchadnezzar says, your God, the angels of your God saved you out of the furnace. Daniel says what? Who saved him from the lions? The angel of God came and shut their mouths. So the Jewish people had two things, two people, all right? They've got the prophets who speak in this, thus saith the Lord, these gnarly guys that are just sort of rough and, and not accepted well in society. Because what are they saying? You guys are wrong. You guys are doing wrong. Imagine this, and this isn't hard to imagine, Imagine some politician getting up today and saying homosexuality is wrong and it will be judged by God. And I'm saying, thus saith the Lord, don't do this anymore. It is a wicked, evil practice. What's going to happen to that person in our society, in our Christian, in our Christian nation? They're going to be run out of life. I mean, there will be severe consequences. And that's what these guys were. These guys were standing up and saying, this is wrong. But they were strong characters. And they were revered hundreds of years later. These angels, this was the Jewish experience. These angels move around and do this credible stuff. And and they're strong characters. They're not sort of floaty things with harps. And this is what they were looking at. I even like this picture of the angels. Why? Because he's bloody. You ever thought of a bloody angel before? An angel that fights. Read Daniel. Daniel, at one point, it says, I I got caught up in a battle. I couldn't get back to you soon enough because I was struggling in a battle. And I love the picture, the thought of an angel bleeding because he's a warrior. He's a fighter. That's what angels are. And this is what they did. And then let's throw into this mix this guy. Prophets we get. Prophets we've heard about for thousands of years. Angels we've heard about for thousands of years. And now this guy shows up. It's a guy named Jesus. He's from the town up by the lake. We're not sure what to do with this guy. But he's doing miracles. He's doing all this amazing stuff. What in the world do we do with this guy? And how do we turn away from him? How do we neglect what he's saying? Because he did so many incredible things, but yet he's not really one of the prophets. He's certainly not an angel. Who is this guy? That's the question. So it says there in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, in these last days, he has spoken to us, talking about the, uh, the audience and the author, both Jewish, spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Let's think about that for a second. When do you gain an inheritance? Present, past, future. He's made him the heir of all things. Is that a past tense? The heir 
is in the future. He's made him the heir of all things. At what point do you cease being an heir? You're an heir. It's all the time. He's made him the heir of all things and made the universe through him. When did that take place? In the past, right? You're here. Hello, you're here. You're made. When did he make you? In the past, because you're here. And he's the heir of all things. So what is this Jesus guy? Who is this Jesus guy that we're talking about? He's the heir of all things. He's going to inherit all things. All things will be his because he was the one who made all things. Sorry, I should do it this way. He made all things, right? Because y'all are right and left. All right, we're not too, too Jewish today. All right, so he made everything and now he's going to be the heir of all things. He is the beginning and he is the end. Work with me on the Greek. He is the alpha and the omega. You see what the, the author was doing? The angels who are all a part of the revelation. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He's saying, look, these guys, they were born and they died. Some of them had very short ministries. Some of them had short ministries that lasted a year or two and they died. They weren't eternal beings. They didn't create the world. They're not going to be the heir of all things. You see, the argument of Hebrews over and over again, what we'll see is there was the prophets, but then later on came Jesus. And if the prophets were good enough, Jesus would have never come. When there's something new that comes on the scene, it's because it's better and it was needed. It was needed to finish. What we'll hear is a lot of times that these things were a copy and a shadow of the greater things to come. So when we talk about the prophets, Jesus was a prophet, but he was the one who was the better than of all these things. All right, keep going with that text again. Verse three, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Anybody know what the translation of the Greek of therefore word is? Normally it's logos, all right? This time it's not, it's not logos, it's much better. It's the word rhema. Rhema is the spoken word. It's the words that you actually speak out loud. It's not just words on a page. It's the declarations of your mouth. And he says, this Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, and he sustains all things. That literally means he controls all things, the sun, the tides, the moon, everything, the oxygen level, all these things. He sustains all these things by his powerful words that he speaks. He speaks creation into being in Genesis 1. This is the rhema. But now let's look at this. Are the prophets the radiance of the glory of God? Are they the exact expressions of his nature? When we think about the radiance, look at this picture. What does that tell you? When you see these beams of light, those are the radiance. That's the radiance of the sun, right? Where do they come from? They come from the sun. And how do you distinguish between the radiance of the sun and the sun itself? It's the exact same thing. It, it stems from the same thing. Is that the radiance of God? That's a man with a message. Versus the radiance, Jesus being the radiance of... Anybody struggle with listening to this 
or listening to this? Which is easier? Which is easier in our human minds? To let this guy talk to us or to listen to this? In our human world, this is easier, isn't it? We can hear this guy. We can, this guy can give us a list. What does this give us? When this speaks to us, what do we hear? Do we hear rules? Do we hear morals? We hear the glory of God. Which will drift away? Which will you question? This guy's words or your understanding of this? And what did the Jewish people want to do? Give us this guy. Just give us the rules. We don't want to try and learn. We don't want to try and feel all this. That's too hard for us. Just give us the rules. Tell us how to live our lives and we'll be okay. I always say it's like the husband. Baby, just tell me what you want me to say. Just tell me what you want me to give you. You want roses? You want flowers? Okay, I can do that. And she goes, no, I want you to do it from your heart. And we're going, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't want what's in here. Because we, we don't do well with this. All right, we're guys. We do well with this. And the Jewish people did the same thing. He says, but let me tell you what's better. Let me explain to you what's better. And he says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. You see, it's not just Jesus is the radiance of God and he's the exact expression of God. So that word literally means he's a stamp, all right? If you pull out a coin, if you pull out a dollar bill, you see the expression of George Washington on there. All right, now I don't think George Washington sat down for a mold and we still use that to this day. All right, but that's the, that's the sort of the understanding of it. I was looking at pictures of facial molds and some guy had, did a facial mold for his kids or something. And it's just, it's just ugly because he's got like a goatee and it's all scraggly. And I'm like, I'd scare your children, all right, with this facial mold of you because he wanted his kids to have this exact expression of his face. I was like, just take a picture, all right? Polaroid, much better than that mold thing you got working there. It's like a scary doll, all right? But it's this it's a radiance, this exact expression of his nature. But he, it wasn't just that. After making purification for sin, now that's a big fancy word right there. When did that take place? When did the making purification sin take place? Did Jesus come down and say, I'm here to purify your sins, and I will do this and I'll do that and I'll, I'll make this little sacrifice and I'll put this on my thumb and wrap this around my earlobe and do this and I'll have this fancy priestly thing and we'll make purification for sin. When did Jesus make purification for sin? When he died at Calvary. When he was tortured and bled at Calvary for each and every one of you. Because I said last week, you were tied for the most wonderful, glorious, perfect, created being he ever made. You are tied for being the most glorious creature he ever made. That's how he sees you. And that's why he made purification for your sin at Calvary. So after making purification sin, what did, you, what did God say? Sit down. Sit down, you're done. Sit down, you did your job. What is the last thing Jesus says? It is finished. Have a seat. Which of the prophets gets to sit down? 
Which is probably, did God say, all right, come on up, have a seat, you're done. What, Moses and Elijah are probably the two greatest prophets. Did they get to sit down? No. Transfiguration. Come on, Moses, Elijah, go talk to Jesus. Two witnesses in the Revelation. Probably, likely, the description fits Moses and Elijah. Why? Because prophets don't get to sit down. Because prophets are servants. They're not the son. And the son finished his job and he got to sit down. But he rolls into this other thing in four. Look, so he became higher in rank than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. So how do we get over this whole angel thing? All right? How do we get this? And so let's look at the text and let's chase this thing down for just a second here. Because these are these angel guys that we're talking about. Here's our son. Here's the angels. How is one better than the other, higher in rank than the other? Right? Hebrews 1.5 says, For which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. What's the difference between a servant and the son? That's the question. You see, the, the Jewish people, they exalted these angels. These angels fought for them. They worked for them. They served them. They, they gave them the law. They gave them all this amazing stuff. And now you throw in this Jesus guy and what do you do with him? And they're saying, Jesus is better than these angels. You want angels. You want angels to do things for you. You want angels to move things for you. You want to do these amazing things. And the author is saying, Jesus is better. What was his message? Because he's the son. He is the son of God. To which of the angels did that? So why are you going to listen to an angel and his message and neglect the message of the son? You see, what was the message of the angels? The message of the angels was the law. The message of Jesus was what? The gospel. And what did the Jewish people want to run back to? Drift away from Christ back into what? Just follow the law. It's so much easier. It's so much, we've got it out there. It's right there in black and white. It's the difference between the prophet and the radiance. Which one do we follow? I like this one. When he again brings his firstborn into the world, sometimes we read over that one really fast, right? Can we read that again? When he again brings his firstborn into the world, who's the firstborn? And when's he coming back again? The second coming of Christ. When Jesus comes back, anybody that comes back, you may want to pay attention to what they said. Because people don't generally come back. How many of the prophets came back? They didn't generally tend to come back. When Jesus comes back again, what are the angels going to be doing? The angels that you're wanting to run back to, you're wanting to run back to their message, what are the angels going to be doing in that moment? They will be worshiping Christ. It says when Jesus returns and is all his mighty angels with him, they will be worshiping him and they will be riding with him. If you're worshiping the angels, you're going to miss the point. That's what he was saying to this audience. Do not neglect this great salvation that we have. Then he says this about the angels. He says, he makes his angels winds or spirits and his servants a fiery flame. Angels have a point. There is a point to them. There is value in them. It's not like they're obsolete. Oh, we don't need angels anymore. No, 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 no. The angels were a copy and a shadow of the one to come. They serve their purpose. 
but they have a purpose. They're not the Son. So let's look at how he speaks to the Son. In 1, 8 and 9, it says this, and what, I, want you, I want you to see some key words here. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy rather than your companions. Now, if we're talking about the difference between the angels and we're talking about the Jesus, the Son, angels are what? He just said he makes his, uh, with, he makes his angels winds or spirits and his servants a fiery flame. So the angels are what? Servants. Are they the Son? No. But then he talks about this, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. What kind of language do we see? What words do we see? Scepter, kingdom, anointed. Who talks about a person with that kind of phrases, with those kind of words? Look at it. Your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom. How many angels have kingdoms? Does it ever say in there, how often does the servant become the king? How often does the servant take hold of the scepter? Is that how it works? That's how it works in the horrible, tragic plays, right? The, scepter, the, the, the servants kill the son. Matthew 21, Jesus tells the parable of the tenant farmers. What do they do? They kill the son. Is that a good story? Is that the way things go? No. But this is how God speaks of them. Your throne, God, is forever. Your scepter, your kingdom, the scepter of justice. What happens if you neglect so great a salvation? And at the end of the day, he is the king. Do you see the argument the author is making to the audience? Don't drift away from the one who will be the king. Don't drift away from his message of salvation because you're going to miss your king. If you step away from all this, you're going to miss all these things. Keep going because he talks about it again. He now says, In the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Again, the beginning. You established. You made all these things. And then he rolls to the other side. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak and they will be changed like a robe, but you are the same and your years will never end. Again, what's he saying about the son? Not only is he the king, he's going to hold the scepter. He's going to be anointed. He's going to reign forever and ever in this kingdom, but he's also the one who started it all and the one who will finish it all. So at what point do you want to neglect this guy? At what point do you want to step away from this guy? He even goes on. He says, now to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, I will make your enemies your footstool. When, when did he ever say that to the angels? And so the author's pleading with his audience, don't yearn for these angels. Don't yearn for the messages. Don't yearn for the law that you think is so much easier and so much better and so much, we can, it's just so much easier. We're like the river, let's, let's get away from this resistance because Jesus is hard. People are not just lining up going, yeah, Jesus is so great. The Roman armies at this time, you know, we're 300 years away from them going, hey, Christianity is the way to go and just ruining the whole thing, all right, in a lot of ways. It was so much easier to just go back. Just give us some prophets, Jesus. Just give us some prophets. 
Let the angels do their thing. We'll follow the law, and it's easy. This Jesus guy is hard. The way of Jesus is hard. And the author is saying, don't neglect this one. Don't neglect the one who will be king. Don't neglect the one who was there in the beginning and will be there at the end. This is the one you want to follow. And he pleads with him. Why? Because he loves him. He pleads with them because he doesn't want them to drift away and fall back into this lifestyle that's going to be damning in the end. Because what does he say? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How will we escape if we look at Jesus on the cross and we say, I'm going to try a different way. I'm going to try something. I'm going to be really good. I'm just going to behave. I'm going to read my Bible, read my Old Testament. I'm, do it. I'm just going to really behave. Everything will be okay. And the author saying, no, it doesn't work that way. You see, that was just a copy and a shadow. Jesus is the reality of this thing. That's what you want to focus all your attention on. So we come back to this. We must, therefore, pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. What causes you to drift? What causes you, what causes your attention to, to move away from Christ? I think this is why Paul writes and says, renew your mind daily. Get up every day and say, all right, explain to me this whole after making purification for my sin one more time because I want to feel the beauty of this one more time. Every single morning, I want to get up and I want to pay even more attention so I do not drift away. I don't want to take two days off and not think about it for two days because I know me and I know you and I know all of us. Our minds are going to drift. So renew your mind every single day. Pay even more attention because what's going to happen when you fill your mind with the purification that Christ gave us, when you fill your mind with the message of Jesus on a daily basis and renew your mind to that, you go out and you do amazing, beautiful things in your world. When you don't, you're a really nice person. And there's a big difference between the two. You can be a really nice person and get a lot of glory, but Christ gets nothing. Or you can remind yourself of the message of Christ and go out and do amazingly beautiful things. And people go, you're weird. You're strange. What? Why are you doing this? I'm sitting at, at, at a meal with my new Employer, employees and all that stuff this week. And I'm sitting there and we get, of course, we went to eat and we all had different checks and different credit cards and they bring our checks back and they, they put mine down and I see that my credit card's still there and the, the bill is still there. And I'm sitting there going, I, th I think the guy forgot to run my credit card on this. Well, I've got seven employees and employers and coworkers sitting there with me at this table and we're all sitting there and I just said, hey, I think you forgot to run my credit card. And the guy next to me goes, dude, why'd you do that? You could have got at it for free. I said, because that wouldn't be right. And it was this moment. He was like, wow. And he knows who I am. He knows I'm a pastor. So you do beautiful things in your world. And people go, you're weird. You're strange. You should have just walked out of here. No, you don't. Because I'm reminded of what Christ has done for me. I'm going to live a beautiful life in front of people so that my Christ and my God gets all the glory to this because I've not neglected his salvation that he gave to me because he just really likes me. 
So I want to worship him with that. I want to honor him with every second of my day, every thought that crosses my mind. And I want to pay even more attention so I do not drift away. Look at, keep going with that text. You see that if the message spoken through the angels, the law was legally binding, and remember he's talking to Jewish people. If the law was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received just punishment, what would happen to you if you committed adultery under the law? You would be killed. The woman caught in adultery, we know that story, right? What were they about to do to her? What did they have to drop? Stones. You see, if the message spoken by the angels had that kind of weight, what kind of weight does the message spoken by the Son have? How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The salvation that was spoken by the Lord, confirmed by the apostles, testified by God throughout the book of Acts over and over again. How will we escape if we neglect this? Pay attention this week. The Greek word here is pros echo. I want want you to see this word because the Greek is so much more vivid than our English. When it says pros echo, pros means before. Echo is the Greek word for to have or to hold something. So if I want to pay attention to what's on this tablet, if I want to pay attention to this, what do I do with it? I hold it, I have it in front of me, before me, pros. It's there in front of me. And I, I go about my day, and if the gospel of Christ is on here, and the message of Christ is here, and I'm paying attention, and I walk around my day like this, and I interact with my son, all right, what kind of interaction do I have with him? How do I interact with him? If I'm holding on to the gospel of Christ, and I interact with my wife, what kind of interaction do I have with her? Or this, what happens if I say, you know what, I'm not going to pay attention today, I'm not going to cross-echo this today, I'm going to put this down over here, and I'm just going to go about my business and do this. Now what kind of interaction do I have with my son? What kind of interaction do I have with my wife? When I set aside, I've drifted away from the message of Christ, and the author is pleading with him, pay even more attention so you don't drift away. Because how will you escape if you neglect such a great salvation? Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, you would make your word so real in our lives.